0: That's heritageradionetwork.org/15 to donate and enter to win today, and make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: All right, welcome to HRN on tour at Charleston Wine and Food 2022. I'm Kat Johnson, and today we are broadcasting live from the heart of Charleston Wine and Foods Culinary Village. This is our sixth, seventh year doing this, you know. We feel right at home here. And I feel very at home because I'm with some friends of mine. Um, And I just wanna say first, this episode is made possible thanks to the support of Ben's Friends and Indigo Road Restaurant Group. Um, Thank you for supporting us again. We love Ben's Friends. Um, Okay, so the friends joining me today This just makes me feel warm and cozy inside. So I've got three of the chefs that participated in last night's The Roots of Rice signature dinner. So we're going to hear about how that went. I'm super curious. I think this is the first time they've done a dinner uh, with that focused topic. So we're going to dive into it. But first, let me introduce our guests. First up, my friend Matthew Rayford. He is known as a chef farmer. He is the host of HR and Jupiter's Almanac, which is inspired by his family's history and farmland in Brunswick, or just outside Brunswick, Georgia. Yep. And um, the owner and executive chef of the newly opened restaurant, Strong Roots Provisions.
2: Uh, actually, it's Strong Roots Nine. Strong Roots Provisions is an older restaurant. Got it. Um, Strong Roots Nine is opened on our property.
1: Very cool. Yeah. Um, so, welcome, Matthew.
2: Thank you. It is it's good, so to, good, see good you. to see you. It's been. It feels like it's been a decade, it almost feels like. The we've pandemic makes you, this is time war. Yes, yeah. we've talked
1: a lot during the pandemic. We did. But yeah. it's been a while since we've seen each other. How's
2: your farming going?
1: Um, we have started some seeds. Okay. I would call it gardening at this point. Gardening. Okay. Um, there we go. But we started some <laughs> seeds, and uh, I'm excited. Some have come up. So okay. we're, we're we're learning every day.
2: It, it, that's what farming is. Yeah. It's, just, it's like cooking. It's lifelong learning. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Um, so next up, we have Kevin Mitchell. Um, Kevin Mitchell is has um, I could. Do an intro for him that would last like 10 minutes, but I'll just give you some highlights. The Natalie Dupree graduate fellow of the SFA, who was the first African-American chef instructor at the Culinary Institute of Charleston in 2008. And um, m- the most recent thing I wanna hit on is that he's a co-author of Taste of the South, South Carolina's signature foods, recipes, and their stories. Which he co authored with Dr. David S. Shields. And it celebrates the contributions of Native Americans, Gulligichi, and European settlers. So it's a really like all encompassing, deep look at this the food of this state and the history. So welcome, Kevin.
3: Well, thank you. So happy to see you. you too. I don't think it the last time I saw you was what? When we were in Denver for uh, Slow Food Nations? Yeah. Wow. 2018, 17, yeah. maybe? It's been a minute.
1: I know. It's so it's like always so good to run into y'all at these events and like not having them just makes me feel like makes me feel very far away from
3: on, the food
1: community. Yeah.
3: yeah. Well, we're extremely happy to bring back the Wine and Food Festival yeah. after two long years. It just just feels really good to get out and have this really great festival.
1: And I should also mention you are you're on the board of Charleston Wine and Food. I am. And you're also a chef ambassador for the state of South Carolina. Yes. So, uh, I mean, (laughs) what more do you need to know? What do you need to say? Yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah, all that, and I'm only 21 years old. Right, I love it, I love it, I love it. Yeah. So accomplished.
2: So
1: accomplished. Not everyone can do it, guys. Um, And then our third guest um, today is my newest friend joining us here in the studio, Dominic Lee of Alligator Pear in New Orleans. Um, So couple quick bio hits for you. So you're from New Orleans. Um, You were displaced by Hurricane Katrina, but then you returned. You attended Xavier University. And I love this tidbit. You were intended to become a surgeon, but said, not for me. And you went into food. I love it.
4: My grandmother would say, at least you're still using a knife. There you go. There you go. Yeah. There you go.
1: Um, And so, Dominic, I'm just going to start with you. So, Tell me a little bit about Alligator Pear. And you've you you had previously run restaurants, but fill us in on what you're doing now.
4: Yeah, so I previously owned a restaurant in Houston. Um, it fo- focused on Southern food, but like with world cuisine touches. Um, at the pandemic, we closed it. And then from there, like I had already begun, like what I consider my study on progressive Creole cuisine. I wanted to take the cuisine um, of New Orleans beyond where I feel like it's stagnated. It's such a historical cuisine, but as I gave you an example earlier, like many people associate it with only certain things as to where it's a, a much deeper thought process than that. And I really like beyond the idea of presenting the food, I wish to educate not only people, but the people of New Orleans. Because we also fall into that same category of thinking that this is all it is. And I really I've always come to Charleston food and wine because, you know, there's such a rich culture here. so celebrated and, you know, the people are aware of it. New Orleanians, not so much. Mm. And so because of that, I think that it's a great work that I've put on my own shoulders to become the authority on that type of cuisine, the history of it, and be able to speak in it in a way that's genuine awesome yeah. so
1: let's talk a little bit I mean you three had the chance to spend some time together last evening at this the roots of rice event so um, the the description on that event says that um, it's the most significant crop in the world it's a staple of the diets of more than half of the Earth's people um, so we had you had a whole dinner centered around rice so Kevin you you actually have a section in, in your book um, about South Carolina about sort of the history of rice in this area. Can you just kind of speak to it and, and why why this dinner and why this menu?
3: Well I mean in the in the book we definitely focus in on rice in this place. Um, without rice in this place, in my opinion right uh, this place doesn't really exist right um, Settlers coming to this area. Seeing the plentiful rice growing areas in the marshes, not necessarily really knowing how to cultivate rice, so in their mind they they say, "Well, who does?" And they go back to and they say, "Well, West Africans, you know Sierra Leone, Senegal, those people who have been growing rice, cultivating rice for thousands of years, right?" And they bring those people here to. To cultivate rice, and that's what makes Charleston, at even at that time, the richest city in the world. Like you couldn't, you couldn't talk about anything else. But you know, going back to to what Sh- Chef Dominic says, you know, rice grew prevalently in New Orleans as well, mm-hmm. right? So, but what we wanted to do was really address the history of rice in this place and and give it. Give it a name, give it a face, and really honor those people who who cultivated that rice in this area. Because we know that up until right after the Civil War, Carolina Gold Rice was the main rice of this area. And then with the, the end of the Civil War decimating all the rice fields in this area, that rice was lost. And the most popular rice becomes what we know or what we knew of as Uncle Ben's, which is now Ben's favorite, right? Um, Until a gentleman, a doctor named Richard Schultz, who had the original seeds, convinces our good friend Glenn Roberts from Anson Mills to grow. And then Dave, of course, he reaches out to David because David had a lot of the research. And they just go around the country trying to grow this rice, getting this rice back onto the culinary landscape, you know, because we know that it was first brought back in California, not necessarily in Charleston first, because that's where Glenn first planted it. Um, so just giving that honor and that praise to those people who who cultivated it uh, was first the main thing. And then, you know, the other chefs, we can all talk about the significance of of doing this dinner and why I felt it was important to, to do this dinner mainly because for one, because we are in this place where rice was is, Um, but also wanted to kind of bridge the gap culturally and explore rice cultures in other areas. So we, we have chef Lee here representing, you know, new Orleans, myself, Matthew, Charleston, kind of the Georgia area, and the other chefs who were, you know, looking at um, the Latin culture Mm -hmm. for rice, and then of course, you know, Chef Lamar doing her her take on, you know, Korean. Mm -hmm. So the rice, once again, which the description I think fits it really purpose. I mean, which really purpose perfectly. Sorry that it is the most important crop that we have to always give that honor and praise and and teach people as chef said the history of of what it is and what it was
1: yeah i'm i'm curious to hear because you know you're all um like living in coastal areas port cities something they all have in common um but you know kevin you're you're originally from new jersey but i would just love to hear if you have each of you have like family stories or specific recipes around rice, like what was sort of the culture within your own families around this this crop that is so important to you as chefs now but I think also is like your personal histories. Matthew?
2: Yeah, I um so I grew up and it, there was this saying that if you ate rice and can eat rice with every meal, like breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you were geeching. And so... Mm-hmm. It was this thing that I grew up with, thinking that, well, I eat rice, but other people eat rice, too. Why, is it, why do I have to have a name, per se, right? And, um, I, you know, when you're a kid, you don't quite understand all those intricacies of, uh, of names and things like that. But I very quickly started to understand where rice culture played such a significant part in the state of Georgia. So where we're located, um, well, let's start off with this the first commodity crop that was grown for sustenance is rice in the United States. It's the very first one. So uh, what Kevin was just saying about roots of rice and having that as like a specific name, this country is built on rice on the backs of enslaved people. And acknowledging that and saying it out loud has never been done before in a meal, right? And then in a very open setting without it being just around some kind of controversial conversation so if i go back to the state of georgia georgia and darien georgia the original economic system that failed them was rice they were planting and cultivating rice into the 1930s there's a book called the darien rice journal that talks about darien rice culture and all of those things but then to talk about how big it, it means, Georgia, our coast, holds one-third of the marshland for the East Coast. That's a lot of marshland. In that marshland, that, that rice culture that was created where uh, fresh water could come in and push salt water out, those areas were built by these enslaved folks that understood how to manipulate and uh, kind of like engineer the systems which still today, if you go across, as you enter into the state of Georgia and look left or right across the many bridges that you have to cross, you will see the impact of rice. Rice is why we have the most amazing naturalist system inside our state. If that rice culture would not have happened, we would not have the sweet shrimp that we have that run from North Carolina to Central Florida. With that being said, I know you asked about stories, so I'll go into stories. One of the reasons that I wrote in and Yam, the cookbook, was uh, I put coastal paella in there, was because when I grew up, my mom called it shrimp creole. However, it was called that because her friend was from New Orleans and showed my mom how to make what Kevin would call a perloo. So... A lot of times it's like this, what's in the name, but it's also like where you are. So when we talk about a sense of place, when I go to New Orleans, I when I look at a dish, I'm I'm back home. Like I'm eating it like I'm back home. When I come to Charleston, I'm eating this. I'm looking at these dishes going, oh, Perlue, I, that's the same as what my mama makes, you know? So I think that when we're talking about something like rice culture and we look at it from that kind of a lens, those stories become just, um, you know, it becomes a lot of them when we start looking at food not from such an on-high thing that just that we're chefs and we can create this amazing food, but if we look at it from the point of all the places that we just talked about all have the exact same dish called something different. Mm-hmm. And then if you trace it all the way back, coastal paella now is because of the Spanish, which we don't really talk a lot about Spain and, the Amer- and, and North America, but Spain ran this junk all the way up to Virginia like you know they didn't you know George Washington just come in and make something happen you know like the Spaniards that's why we have the Hog. that's why we have a lot of the ways that we have is because the Spaniards brought things over and left them on barrier islands so I think when we start looking at it like that it, uh, it will overshadow any negative connotation of just uh, slavery and just rice if we can if we can start to move in that lens of if this hadn't happened this country wouldn't exist
4: i think that when telling a rice story is like the dinner was so important to me because i believe as you said rice was a, a commodity food something that we all needed and even growing up i grew up poor we ate rice we ate rice and the thing is is that you're right uncle ben's is the rice that we know and as i progressed in my own culinary journey i began to understand the different breeds of rice where they come from and to tell that story still in louisiana today i can guarantee you that when people think rice they think mahatma Uh, Uncle Ben's. right, And the breeds of rice go unnoticed. Mm -hmm. And so, like yesterday, I was explaining how in Louisiana we have aromatic popcorn rice, wild rice from sawgrass in the swamp, pecan rice, jasmine rice, which was developed to grow in Louisiana like the aromatic jasmine rice of Asia. Asia. And these things are not known you know these are things that go unnoticed unused uncelebrated mm-hmm. and until the time comes that people begin to embrace rice as it is and understand the history we still have a battle that we have to fight in the education front and personally like in the story like my story is we ate rice with everything we still like he said coastal paella per, um perlue jambalaya, Mm -hmm. things that have like (laughs) European derivatives but, you know, still were put together by the people of the area with the ingredients that they had to mimic what it is that they remembered. There you go. You know? Yeah.
3: Well, for me, um, growing up in New Jersey, my grandmother actually grew up in North Carolina, so we ate rice pretty much with every meal, but it was... Um, Carolina in that red or red and white bag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And she would cook it and it was very it was very sticky. Right. right. But I ate it because that's what we have. Right? Right. But my my true connection with rice actually started when I came to Charleston. Right. Um, just learning about the food of this area learning about Carolina Gold with um with David and with Glenn, um, and my first true experience was, you know, in Charleston several years ago, we hosted the Carolina Gold Rice Foundation Rice Symposium, mm. and I was asked to be a part of the a cooking demo where I had to demonstrate how to make chicken bog. And uh, what is chicken bog? Chicken bog is it's just a dish that's cooked down rice with chicken and sausage and but when i first was asked i was like well what the what the hell is chicken box you were asking <laughs> but i soon learned that it was very similar to what my grandmother would make i mean chicken, a, and, rice. chicken and rice chicken and rice right there you go. right so with the process you know i reached out to glenn and i was like i gotta do this so he sends me their recipe and And it's a two-day process. Like You have to cook the chicken in with stock to fortify the stock, cool the chicken, peel the chicken, remove the skin and the bones, take the, the stock, and then cook the rice, the chicken. And there are some recipes that add carrots or can add sausage or whatever. But understanding that the word bog comes from how the marsh looks, So Mm. when people say bog, it means like the rice is bogged down. So I'm making this dish, and I just remember standing in the kitchen like, my grandmother made this all the time. (laughs) She didn't make it together in the same pot, but it came together on the plate, and it just really reminded me of just being with her and and understanding cooking because she was teaching me how to cook when I was six years old. Right? Mm. So – But becoming more involved in the research and working with David and Glenn and understanding the different types, the different strands of rice and understanding that at one point, if you were an astronaut looking down on the Earth, you could actually see hundreds of thousands of rice fields um, that were there that, of course, are no longer – they no longer exist. But just really – I think and like I explained to, to people last night about my particular dish, the food, the dish was all about connections. Like connecting this place to where it originated from. So connecting Charleston to to Africa, to West Africa, to those people that were brought here to to cultivate rice. And I think I think we, we did a really great job of really exposing people to the beauty of rice the different types of rice the different ways of cooking rice um, and of course you know how rice can only can not only be savory but it can be sweet in a dessert um, so story just I mean it just it's just like this complete 360 degree circle from Matthew Dominic, myself the other chefs, Glenn David so many people out there You
2: know, I I think I want to add one more thing is that um, when you look at and and I'm glad that you brought this you kind of alluded to this a little bit so like what's in the name like Jambalaya like they they have these European centric kind of names for, for what's going on if we were to actually think about where food is right now we're consistently eating food that would be considered from the poorest class of people that is now Hoke cuisine. All of your Italian cuisine that's out there comes from poor folks. I have yet to meet an Italian chef that did not talk about the fact that his grandmama made this dish, right? So that's not a high cuisine. Your grandmama ain't making no high cuisine. Ain't being the operative word. So when, when you look at Gullah when you look at rice... We have to look at where we are and take our own thing and raise it up because all of our cuisines have been kept down low, Southern cuisine as a whole. Right now, there is not one city in the United States that is not in the South that does not want to have purlue on the dish, that don't want to have a rice dish, right? Everybody wants to have their best Southern restaurant with the best biscuits and gravy and all that kind of stuff. It is time for us to reclaim the fact that our food is high cuisine. Our food is the one that allowed this nation to become a nation. And if we don't start doing it and representing things like rice and rice culture and having those real conversations and then doing things like the Roots of Rice dinner and ensuring that the price point on it reflects a high cuisine. And that's what we did, you know? And I really, how do I say this? I, my hat's off to Kevin, putting his foot down and saying, "Hey, this is an a, this is going to be the thing, and it's going to be not only it's and we're going to do it across the nation, you know, across the world. We're going to show what Rice has done across these spaces and show where it's where it's been raised. And so, my hat's off to you, and I thank you for like, but for doing what's, that, bro.
3: Thank you. I think what's really interesting is in the classroom with my students, we. We focus one week on on rice, and we we do rice pilaf, we do risotto, um, but we weren't really doing anything else. So I said, well, you know, we're gonna do in this class, we're gonna do hop and John, right? We're gonna talk about perlu, and going back to making connections. Getting the students to understand that no matter where you go, as you said, there is always a quintessential rice dish, right? If we talk about France, where pilaf or marmite, right? Where New Orleans, way, no
2: rice growing in in, in these places <laughs> either.
3: Yes, <No>. you're talking <laughs> jambalaya in in New Orleans. You're talking perlu. You're talking, you know, Indian pilau in in India. Yeah. Right. But what is, what is the ingredient that remains constant? Rice, rice right? Everything else is different. Everything is changed. You can add meat, seafood, vegetables, so many different things. But that one constant ingredient is always rice. And we always have to make sure we honor that ingredient. Because, for one, specifically, Charleston doesn't exist. But we can even go beyond that. We can just say the world really
2: does not exist. Does not,
3: because we have to give that respect to to that one ingredient. And no matter how you eat it, cook it, do whatever, still rice. it's still rice. Now, as chefs, we say, oh, well, you know, we're going to make purlue. It's easy for us to make rice. But I get people asking me all the time, well, I can't cook rice. And I just look at them like it's rice. Right. So, but I also, also tell them that. Specific types of rice I mean takes some really great expertise, right? Mm-hmm. You're talking this, the, gullah, the gullah culture, you with Carolina Gold Rice, it's important that you rinse the rice yeah. like 10, 11, 12 times to remove that starch. Because I learned from chefs like BJ Dennis and, and Charlotte Jenkins that when you make these dishes, the, the grains of rice need to be separated, mm-hmm. not sticky like what I remember eating right. at home right and, and washing that rice helps remove that starch so you don't get that stickiness right And I remember working with Charlotte on her cookbook when I first moved to Charleston and was really like I'm a chef but I can't get this rice thing right right, and, right, <laughs> right, yeah. right? but she she took the time to really explain to me, the importance of rinsing the rice, the importance of the rice culture and understanding the tradition of passing down, you know, rice baskets to, to their younger daughters. And I actually went to a rice ceremony where that was done and keeping those traditions alive. And that's what was important about doing this dinner and, and getting people involved that have the same passion for history, for for rice specifically, and understand how important it is.
1: Oh man, I just have to say that I think everyone who took the time to learn how to make sourdough starter during the pandemic, just next time you have some time, just learn how to cook rice. That is what you need to. That's the light up,
2: We got hit us up. Hit us yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's for right. sure. We'll, we'll definitely. Matter <laughs> of fact, I think we, we should take this on tour. I love it. <laughs> Roots of rice needs to go on tour.
1: I, I'll come. Yeah. Find a job for me. I'll be there. There you go.
3: No <laughs> All you marketing people out there, sponsors, yeah,
2: sponsors, take this yeah. on yes. the road. Roots <laughs> of Rice.
1: Awesome. Okay, rice. we've got like a couple more minutes left. I just wanted to give each of you an opportunity to shout out whether it's books you've got had come out, or if you think there's like a rice resource people need to know about. I'm just going to give you a few seconds to shout out whatever you want. So, Kevin, I'll start with you.
3: Alright, Well, I got to put in the plug for 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 the book. Um, it's called Taste the State: South Carolina's Signature Foods, Recipes, and Their Stories. It's basically it's a an, a book that's written like a dictionary where we talk about eighty two of the most important ingredients and in our dishes that have this connection to South Carolina. We talk about specifically, of course, rice, Carolina Gold Rice. Um, which takes a good bit of real estate in the book. So there's Perlew. We talk about Hop and John and the significance of Hop and John. Um, resources. I mean, I always go to um, Karen Hess's book, The Carolina Kitchen. If you really want to understand rice in this area, that is the book to, to read. Of course, Michael Twitty came out with a book about rice as well. Um, but, you know, I just encourage people, as the educator educate yourself research the the research is out there I mean people always make this these funny comments about Google but Google is, is great like you I google myself and people laugh at me but I want to <laughs> see what's out there well, about there right, right? <laughs> well, sure it's all good right but right. Google is your friend so right. get out there do the research you know talk to chefs like us you know we're all on Instagram and out there in the social world. Just hit us up, email us or whatever, and say, hey, like you said, I'm having a hard time making rice. Here you go.
4: Well, we're the experts.
1: Lovely. Dominic?
4: Um, So right now uh, I would say that just look out for me. I'm on Instagram, of course, at Chef Dom Lee. Um, Always available. I'm really, really deep in research. I came over um, from Italy, actually where it's kind of like I've been home-based for a year, just going around, doing a lot of personal study, working with people, understanding food derivatives on all fronts because my main focus, which is also my work, is uh, publishing a book that is about the history and thought process of Creole cuisine but pushing it forward beyond where I believe that it's plateaued. And um, last night, for me, was a very prime example of the work that it is that I wish to exhibit um, and the type of food that I wish to exhibit. I believe that we have to do this. This is a project that is completely necessary, not for me, but for my people, you know what I mean? Like I'm not doing it for me, it's for the preservation of what my great-grandfather, my great-great-grandfather, who grew crops, who you know came here as slaves were freed and continue to do this job and i want to be able to preserve their history for my kids one day so that they know you know and and, and it's important to me so um i'll continue to do that and you know that's just where i fall on that subject
1: incredible yeah. matthew um,
2: well I'm, I'm gonna be just like kevin i'm gonna shout out the book breast and yam um which, is, which means bless and eat in Gullah Geechee. Um, I am now a part of the Jubilee Justice Project, which is the reclamation of rice back into uh, folks of African descent. So we're growing uh, three strands of rice this year on the farm, a dragon's eye, which is a black rice, a scarlet, of course it's red, and an aborio. And our thing is, is to get it up this year to where we're at commercial production sides, And um, a big shout out to Jubilee Justice, big shout out to Condomason for even taking that kind of a project on. But putting rice back into the original people that actually are the reason that we have rice and rice crops, uh, I can't can't say much more to it than that. Besides that, we still... Have the Gullah Geechee gin that's out um, from Simple Man Distillery. We still grow all of the botanicals, short of the juniper berry, for it. So, nope. yeah, coming more. Uh, we're working more on some ancient grains, some Oaxacan green corn. We're getting ready to start planting at the farm, um, so that we can create another seed bank. Um, and so that's a, that's a whole nother conversation. Is is where corn uh, actually sits um, within the African diaspora.
1: Yeah. Okay.
3: So
2: just since we're giving out social media, you can look at, hit me
3: up on Instagram at Chef Scholar Yes. Um, and see my journey and, and see the things that I'm doing that are, you know, book-based, education-based, South Carolina Chef Ambassador, all those things, um, and just hit me, hit me up. We will
1: put your Instagram handles in the episode description awesome. so people can we're find awesome, you guys. Awesome, awesome. All right. Well, we're out of time. Thank you so much. Thank it was a- incredible to see you all. You're, I just, I think the world of all of you. You know, you know that. Um, thanks for listening to HRN's live coverage of Charleston Wine and Food Festival. I'm Kat Johnson. We're grateful to the festival for having HRN back in the Culinary Village for the sixth year running. And you can listen to all of our coverage on the podcast Heritage Radio Network on tour. Thanks again to Ben's friends and find us on heritageradionetwork.org wherever you listen to podcasts.
4: Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter,